Did you know you can sponsor an episode of this or any other of your favorite Two True Freaks affiliated shows? That's right. Simply click the PayPal link on our website, donate any amount at all, tell us which show you're choosing and what message, if any, you'd like us to read on your behalf, and you will be an official sponsor of that show's very next episode, with your message read in the show's opener. It's that easy, and there is no minimum donation. Be a show sponsor today. December 7th. Earth 2. 1941. A world very much like our own, yet slightly different. A date which will live in infamy. A world at war. The United States of America was suddenly and deliberately attacked by naval and air forces of the Empire of Japan. Following the Japanese sneak attack on Pearl Harbor, President Franklin Delano Roosevelt brought together the largest group of mystery men ever assembled to battle the Axis powers. Tales of the Justice Society of America presents The All-Star Squadron. And welcome to episode 61 of the Tales of the Justice Society of America. My name is Michael Bailey, and today I am joined by my co-host, good friend and president of the Scott Gardner fan club, Mr. Scott Gardner. Who, me? Yeah, yeah me! You. <laughs> yeah, you. Yay. Could it be? Then who? <laughs> <laughs> That's my favorite fan club. How's it going, everybody? Ah, it's going great. I mean, we're both <laughs> kind of tired, but um, we are to, to peel back the uh, the curtain. So this is going to be an interesting one, folks, because we're we're literally flying by the seat of our pants on this one. There was what uh, pants? We <laughs> I keep forgetting. I'm so glad that we don't have our webcams on right <laughs> now because apparently I scare people with my webcam. <laughs> so. Um, no, I. Uh, uh, this is um, it's going to be an interesting one. I, I do want to thank Scott for uh, for having something to throw out there to y'all last week, getting that first issue of the or episode of the Crisis Management yeah. uh, sub show out, uh, so we didn't ha- so we didn't have to miss a week. And the reason why we missed a week last week, folks, is something you can listen to all this month 
on the Two True Freaks Network is Return of the Jedi Month <laughs> uh, on Two True Freaks, and uh, I was part of three quarters of it. So, so Scott and I have been talking to each other, just not about the Justice Society. <laughs> well, you know that episode was not intended to be um, released then either. I, I, that you know, because as the beginning of that episode says, you know, it was intended to be a uh, a supplement to tales mm-hmm. so it was actually going to come out you know on a whole different day and everything but then when i realized that we didn't have anything for that week as far as the show proper i thought well i'll just go ahead and pop it in there so to me it sounds a bit weird and a bit jarring but you know to anybody else it probably just seems like oh well this is just you know a, a placeholder episode or whatever but not quite what i intended but uh it seems to be getting you know fairly positive feedback so i i appreciate that i like that and and you and i were talking just before we started recording so we you know, will definitely be doing more of those episodes and uh hopefully um you know, I, I would I would imagine at least the majority of them together. I'd actually yeah. like to do trade offs. You know, I'd like to do you know the ones we want to do together. We'll do together. Okay. You know, and I also imagine that there'll be ones where you know there's some that I like that you don't care about. There's some that you like that I don't care about. You know, because we each have our our likes and dislikes of characters and teams and stuff like that. So, I think it could be fun that we get all the material covered. And we just, you know, we kind of pick and choose what we're doing solo, what we're doing together, you know, that sort of thing. Because uh, I, I can't think of anything off the top of my head that I know that you like that I don't. But like, for example, like the Omega Men, I, I remember you saying, yeah, you I th- don't I think give you a rat's ass about them. <laughs> so that I sort mean, of I, thing, you know, I have a full run. I've never read it. But the more I look at that team, the more I like, wow, you suck. <laughs> so, so. So maybe one day I'll sit down and read the whole thing and be like, I love this team, but I don't think that's going to happen. Well, plus... Because it seems... Oh, I'm what? sorry. No, it's, no you it's, go ahead. Plus, you know, when, when we get into the thick of things, you know, when crisis is really hot and heavy happening, there's going to be a whole lot of material to cover. You know, there's... A, there's It gets to be in some months and some aspects where there's a lot of crossovers going on at one time, so... Well, well, that's also the nice thing about uh, the the crisis management being a supplemental show, because then we can free up this show to keep on covering mm-hmm. All Star Squadron and eventually Infinity Incorporated, and then when crisis hits, uh, you know, we can really devote. We we don't have to worry about doing like a catch all episode, right? You know, talking about all the crossovers. So it's it's going to work out. Plus, it's it's just more of us talking about comics, which I I, I think both of us like to do. Uh, Frequently, which I, I would hope so, because if we hated this, we're some we're we're some masochistic sons of bitches. If we hate talking about comics, and that's all I'm going to say about that. There's a whole lot of time wasted there somewhere. <laughs> I um, thanks to uh, drawing a chance card, which sent a windfall of uh, of money my way. I've been a- able to actually buy some stuff. I've been meaning to buy for years in some cases. And I uh, just wanted to spend a couple minutes right here at the beginning talking about the ones that have to do with this show. I got in an eBay lot, very, very cheap, the third and fourth volume to the All-Star Companions. So, volume three covers young All-Stars, like it does All-Star Squadron in, in volume two, um, plus it... it goes in depth with all the Justice League crossovers and stuff like that. 
but volume four is going to be the one we're going to be using a little more uh, sooner than that one because it covers Infinity Incorporated. Mm. Uh, has a gorgeous Jerry Ordway cover of the members of Infinity Inc., including the Huntress and Power Girl, which I love to see because I thought they left that book way too soon. Uh, not to spoil ahead. That's a little backwards, though, isn't it? In covering Young All-Stars before Infinity, Inc.? Um, I think he probably wanted to cover... To get, like... I don't know if they knew there was going to be a Volume 4, so I guess since Young All-Stars is the sequel to All-Star Squadron... Right. Maybe it made sense to cover that next. Plus, it's a shorter run, and maybe they had more room for it in the book. But uh, Volume 4 also has a issue-by-issue breakdown of Roy Thomas's Secret Origins work. Hmm. Um, which I am really looking forward to uh, rereading when we get to... I don't know if we're covering it on the, st- on the uh, show. I think we had talked about picking, you know, kind of, uh, you know, picking and choosing what we wanted to cover because, you know, not everything is JSA relevant, but I think that we, we agreed that the ones that we felt were JSA relevant that we definitely wanted to... I I know that we definitely want to cover, like, you know, issue one, which was the Golden Age Superman. I know I'd like to cover, uh, I think it was the third issue that was Captain Marvel. Yep. And issue six, which was uh, Marshall Rogers drawing the Golden Age Earth 2 Batman. Batman, yeah. Which is a gorgeous story. And and those... Actually, the ones that, 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 that cover the Golden Age characters are a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they're really good updates in many cases on the... Uh, not, that, not that they needed it. Not that it's like, oh, those old Golden Age stories are stupid. But in some cases, yeah, they kind of were. So, well, they're fleshed out, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And um, I also picked up, which really has to do with All-Star Squadron... Alter Ego number one hundred, which was uh, a really, which was it was it, it, it was like a, it's a little book. It's not even magazine format. It's got a kind of a square bound uh, spine to it, and it's uh, mostly it has this very detailed that I'm about a th- quarter of the way into it interview with Roy Thomas about his time at DC Comics, but and uh, you know I just read about how he got hired on and the first projects he worked on. Uh, one of them, including that world's finest issue that we covered on Back to the Bins eons ago, <laughs> two seventy one, I think, something yeah, like that, um, where he talked about why he did that and how much fun it was putting that issue together. But the cover, and I don't know if it's an original or a redo, but it's the cover to All Star Squadron number zero. Uh, from the Justice League of America number 193 preview issue completely recolored and gorgeous Uh, I posted it on Facebook I don't know if you got a chance to see that yeah you had sent me a a, either a copy of it or or a link to it or something but yeah I did see it and I thought wow you know because that's always one of those pieces of art that I've always liked but of course with that being one of those free you know stuck in the middle of the comic supplements without a glossy cover you know you could see where it would look really awesome you know on the glossy paper with some recoloring so the fact that they finally did that it it really pops it really really looks nice 
And, uh, yeah, it's one of those things I'm going to keep an eye out for if I ever get a chance to snap it up because just the cover alone is, is worth, you know, the price of admission on that. And there were some comments uh, on the photo about that weren't, that were kind of complaining about it. And really? Yeah. Kind of made me a little upset, but, hmm. you know, everyone has different opinions, so I'm not going to sit there and uh and berate anybody for feeling uh the way they do about uh about a piece of art but they're like ah these characters look wonky and i'm just like no no they they all look pretty awesome so shut up yeah i was just gonna say if you mean (laughs) by wonky if you know do you mean awesome then yes i agree with you because (laughs) it's it's rich buckler and and Jerry Ordway. I mean, it's just like it. Do, it doesn't. It really doesn't get better than that. So I don't know. You know, I don't know what you want. Um, I also bought, uh, and we've talked about this a couple times off air. Uh, the it, it has this great Rich Buckler cover of him redoing the Superman versus Shazam cover from the tabloid sized mm-hmm. uh, Treasury edition. And uh, because it, it said, you know, covering the, the trial of, you know, you know, when DC sued Fawcett uh, Comics, uh, folks, if you if you happen upon this uh, this issue at like tomorrow's website and you're like, wow, I really want to read that detailed article. Um, don't <laughs> because it's not detailed at all. And it was actually a really big disappointment. <laughs> and I hated feeling that way, but. I feel completely let down by it. I, I think the cover wrote a check that the insides couldn't cash. So, very sad. What's funny is I had that in my automated searches on eBay for... I've had it in there for the longest time. And I've never seen a copy of it on eBay at a decent price. It's always ridiculously overpriced. And as soon as you told me about that, I went ahead and just took it right out of the thing. I was like, well, the hell with it then. Because there's no, no way I, I want to pay some crazy price for it and then be, you know, that disappointed by it. I mean, it's got a, it's got a pretty fun interview with, uh, with Buckler about the, the, the Treasury Edition thing he did. But uh, it, it, just, it just wasn't what I wanted it to be. I was expecting one thing and... Uh, like I said, I feel, I feel a little let down. I feel like you know, <laughs> somebody told me it was something was going to be in there, and it just ended up not being in there. So, don't you hate that? Uh, a lot, actually. <laughs> like a super lot. So, well, I, I know what you mean because uh, I feel like that's happened a, a couple of times with uh, magazines in in that that publishing house because the the Jonah Hex, you know, the much touted, much anticipated Jonah Hex issue of back issue some time ago. I think it was a little over a year ago. I remember when that finally showed up at my doorstep and I started tearing into that and I was like, wow, this this big, you know, touted interview with with Michael Fleischer that I was so looking forward to. It was kind of a drag. So, yeah, I know what you mean. Oh, that is disappointing because you love... Yeah. Oh, that's that's really... That makes me sad. It, it was. It, it really didn't amount to... Well, you know, I'm sure you've read the, the type of creator interview where, you know, it's it's a good number of years later and, the, and it mostly consists of 
gee, I don't remember. Gee, that was a long time ago. You know, let me tell you what hippy dippy thing I'm into these days instead. And and that's pretty much what the article was. And I was like, this really sucked. You know, this was, you know, I was so looking forward to it and so disappointed by it. So, yeah, I know what you mean. I don't like those kind of, I, I like, I like people with, you know, the, the elephant memories or better yet, fake it. You know, if you can't remember, just lie to me. Tell me a whole bunch of, you know, made up shit just to make me go, wow, that was really cool. You know, I won't know the difference. I'm, I'm so glad I found this out. This, <laughs> this was what I had been waiting for my entire life. <laughs> and then all the other creators come out of the woodwork going, wait a minute. That's not how I remember this story. Wait a minute, asshole. Then you get all that controversy. It's awesome. I love I love stuff like that. <laughs> because I like train wrecks. <laughs> Not only do I like to watch them, I like to cause them. Yeah, there, there's, there's nothing wrong with that. that, that, that you, know, you know, everyone's got to have a hobby. And if you're <laughs> just burning down a barn, I mean, go for it. There you so. go. Well, folks, this is kind of a, a special episode, and by special, I don't mean special, special. special. <laughs> Not that kind of special. Oh, yes, it is. <laughs> the um, the storyline we have been following in All-Star Squadron for, God, what, like eight issues almost? Maybe? Yeah, about that. Um comes to a climax in the All-Star Squadron Annual Number 2. And um, I, I, I don't know how this one's going to go because th- there's a lot of good to say about it and um, there's some not so good to say about it. So I don't know. We, we have a comparison to make when we get to our notes. But uh, because this is an annual, like we did with the last annual, Scott and I are going to be splitting up the synopsizing duties on this. And I am going to be taking the first part of the book. This is All-Star Squadron Annual Number 2, titled The Ultra War. Has a dollar cover price. That's outrageous! 40p in the UK and a dollar 25 in Canada. And every time I hear 40p, I, I think of something else. <laughs> I think of, uh, it's kind of funny. 40p number two. That's what I see on the cover. Now, yours says that on the cover? 40p, yes. Oh, wow. Yeah, I just, all I've got is the DC. I've got a DC bullet on one side mm-hmm. and then the other side, what looks kind of similar to a DC bullet. And it says 1983, $1 number two. So I don't have the, uh, the foreign exchange prices on mine. That's interesting. Hmm. Interesting. Well, I remember exactly where I found this, so I'll get to that in our notes. Okay. Uh, story title is The Ultra War with Roy Thomas as writer-editor, Jerry Ordway as illustrator, Gene D'Angelo as colorist, and the shortened-up Cody as the letterer. And basically the issue opens with all of the bad guys talking about what evil plans they have been hatching over the last uh, few issues with Dr. Terry Curtis complaining that, uh, you know, ultra humanite is trying to derail the war effort by sabotaging and blackmailing the government. Amazing man walks in and goes, okay, now what's the story? And well, I'm glad he did that. Cause it reminds everybody what the story is. Suddenly 
the villains from the future bust into the room. We have Dollman, The Mist, Monocle, Psycho Pirate, Brainwave, and Vulcan, Man, a Son of Fire. And it's really funny that that is how Ultra refers to him. Not as Vulcan, but Vulcan, Son of Fire. As if that was in his contract or something. So... Amazing Man is wondering why they need these villains, which leads to the first time that him and Deathbolt have agreed on ev- any anything. Psycho Pirate defends their presence there, and suddenly a fight breaks out between the heroes of the pa- uh, not the heroes, the villains of the past and present, with Cyclotron uh, holding Deathbolt back from killing somebody. Meanwhile, Superman and Firebrand talk about the fact that uh, she knows Dr. Curtis, and (laughs) Superman tells her to use that to her advantage, to which she replies that she's trying, damn it, she's trying. (laughs) So suddenly the bad guys get get wind of the fact that the All-Star Squadron is approaching with Brainwave Jr., We have the Flash, Phantom Lady, Robin, and Wildcat being uh, carried by the Flash. And the Guardian and Brainwave being carried by Johnny Quick. They are headed to Mount St. Helens, which, if you will remember, is where the Infinity Incorporated went to. They vibrate inside the mountain, and as you can imagine, a fighty McFightenstein breaks out with the heroes battling the villains. In the middle of the melee, Amazing Man goes up to Robin, puts him in a headlock, and says, Listen, kid, act like you're out so I can let you go. And Robin immediately realizes that Amazing Man is on his side, just in time to have Ragdoll come and punch him in the face. (laughs) Which seems to piss off Amazing Man something fierce. Well, the battle doesn't go good for our heroes, especially for Brainwave Jr., who is taken out by his own dear old dad. So they are all transported to Limbo to replace the villains that had... uh, come from the future to the past so those heroes are out of the way meanwhile brainwave comes back into the room after supposedly taking care of his son and ultra begins to close up shop she even has deathbolt kill her submen because apparently all they wanted was her body which is why she's been wearing this tight dress because their subservience to her is is sexual in nature and that disgusts her So they leave just in time for the heroes that had disappeared previously. This includes Green Lantern, Tarantula, Liberty Bell, Adam, Batman, and Commander Steel pop into the headquarters and immediately start checking the place out. Meanwhile, Brainwave Sr., back in his, you know, Jason Voorhees-headed version... reveals that his son had knocked him out and taken his place, but he's no idiot. He's not getting involved anymore, and he makes a run for it. Uh, Liberty Bell and the rest search the place. They find a note from Amazing Man that says, Three branches of government. Executive, Judicial, Legislative, Washington, D.C., W.E. So this tips off our heroes that Amazing Man is indeed on their side. And just as they're about to go do something about it, The assemblage of Infinity Incorporated, including Jade, Silver Scarab, Northwind, Nuclon, Fury, and the Obsidian show up. And instead of a big old fight breaking out, everyone makes nice, even though Jade makes a huge slip up by calling Green Lantern Daddy. 
which is creepy on like 13 different levels, but I'm not going to go into that right now. So they go off to kick some ass. This leads us into part two, Divide for Conquest, where we are in New York City, where Ultra and Deathbolt and the rest of her merry men are... How do I want to say this? What is the word I'm looking for? Stealing would be the right word, but they are um, commandeering an operating room so that Dr. Grayson can put Ultra's head in Robot Man's body. Dr. Grayson refuses to help out, but, you know, (laughs) Ultra pretty much convinces him that this is the way that it needs to go. Ultra zaps a bunch of the other doctors that she doesn't need, which is where Amazing Man has had enough of her shit, and turns on her, leading to a fight between him and Deathbolt. (laughs) Amazing Man assumes the form of rubber which protects him from uh, Deathbolt's... Uh, <laughs> sh- what? Form of a rubber! <laughs> form of a rubber. <laughs> Amazing Man forms, uh, becomes a giant condom. <laughs> so he uh, he manages to subdue Deathbolt, and by subdue, I mean he takes on the form of metal and knocks him the fuck out, which, frankly, I think Scott and I were very happy with. And I hate to speak for Scott... But I liked seeing this this asshole get knocked out. <laughs> but uh, the Ultra Humide, Humanite is having none of that and orders Dr. Curtis to zap Amazing Man, which he does. Robot Man tells his friend Chuck that he needs to perform the operation so that no one else gets hurt. Meanwhile, Liberty Bell is taken by the Cyclotron into another room to reveal why he is working for the Ultra Humanite. Because for the last couple of issues, he's been saying, you know, I have to work for you, but I don't want to. We've been wondering what that is. Well, it turns out that the ultra-humanite is keeping alive Dr. Curtis's daughter, which shocks the crap out of Firebrand. And now I'm going to turn it over to Scott for the rest of the issue. Oh, great. You get me the boring part. <laughs> I'm just teasing. We go to the Supreme Court building in Washington, D.C., where we find uh, Ragdoll and the monocle. Um, I can't remember why the hell they're attacking the Supreme Court. Do you remember why they're attacking the Supreme Court in this part? It's a- they're going they're going towards the three branches of government. So this would be the judicial. Ah, uh, I gotcha. Okay, yeah, I could not remember exactly what ultra ultra humanite kind of shifts uh, focus here. Anyway, this is broken up. By some of the men. Well, I mean, let me see. We've got a silver scarab here. We've got tarantula, Liberty Bell. They pretty much foil this plot and they take the bad guys into custody. While that's going on, we've got a uh, vice president, uh, Henry Wallace. He is attacked by the mist and the psycho pirate. But their little plan is foiled by the likes of Green Lantern and his. Uh, well, we can reveal it at this point, right? That they're his children. Jade and Obsidian break up and and foil the little plot there. They rescue the vice president. At the White House, we've got President FDR himself and uh, one of his advisors. This is Harry... What the hell's this guy's name? Anyway, it doesn't matter. Flipping pages, flipping pages. They are attacked by Vulcan, Son of Fire, which I still think this guy is one of the goofiest-ass villains that we've seen so far in this series. He's not quite as bad as, like, Pseudo-Thor or that goofy alien dude, but he's still pretty goofy. 
And uh, I, I actually kind of enjoyed this part a little bit because of the, the little trick that gets pulled on Vulcan. He's attacking the president. And uh, there was a little bit of foreshadowing right at the beginning of this sequence where it's pretty much revealed that the one thing that FDR is afraid of is fire. And of course, who's he get attacked by? The son of fire. So there's a sequence here where it looks like uh, FDR and his uh, advisor guy are going to get all burned up. But the plot is foiled by the likes of we've got Nuclon of the Infinity Inc. team. We've got Commander Steel, Batman. And we also have Brainwave Jr. Now, Brainwave Jr. uses his mind whammy powers to actually make it look as if FDR and uh, Hopkins, that's the guy's name, Harry Hopkins, that they actually burn alive, to which uh, Vulcan just laughs his head off. But he doesn't laugh for very long because Nuclon and Commander Steel belt him butt good, knock him unconscious, and it's turned, revealed that it was Brainwave Jr. using his mind powers to create this illusion in Vulcan's mind and that the president and Hopkins, they're, they're actually okay. Commander Steel catches cancer by using uh, asbestos sheets to smother the fire and put out the flame. And the president explains to Batman and the others real quick that uh, the main characters of the Justice Society of America, that being Hawkman, Starman, Johnny Thunder and his Thunderbolt, Wonder Woman, Dr. Midnight, uh, Sandman, they are all basically being held in reserve for a an upcoming issue that's going to deal with the Black Dragon Society. And Commander Steel, we see him kind of thinking about the missing uh, Spectre and Dr. Fate. Again, this is all just kind of, uh, what do you like to call this, Mike? All sub uh, subplots accounted for? Yeah, all subplots yeah, exactly, accounted yeah. for, exactly. We're, we're definitely <laughs> going to be getting to this stuff uh, within the next few issues because I remember covers, so <laughs> I know that these are storylines that are coming up. We move into Chapter 3, an ending and an enigma. We're back in the operating room, and this is one of the sequences I have to admit. doesn't make a whole hell of a lot of sense to me, but we're just going to run with it. Ultra is now on the operating table preparing to have the top of her head sawed off so that her brain can be transplanted over into Robot Man's body. Now, we already know that Cyclotron really isn't down with this plan. Um, Ultra Humanite, you know, like I say, she's literally about to have her brain taken out and put into somebody else's body. That leaves pretty much just Death Ball. So... Is Death Bolt really enough to hold off everybody else if they decide once Ultra's, you know, under the gas or whatever from thwarting this entire plan or, you know, from, from Grayson doing? I don't know. It just seems a little weird to me. But like I say, you just kind of got to run with the gag here. Anyway, just at the point where Grayson, despite how he feels about this situation. He's pretty much talked into it by robot man that says, look, you just don't have a choice. It's okay. I'll be all right. Make it quick and painless. And Grayson agrees. And he's just about to start the operation with all of a sudden, holy shit, the roof gets ripped off the place by fury. It's actually a really cool piece of art. I like this part quite a bit. Mm -hmm. I like when wonder woman and her ilk really exercise their full powers. I think it's very easy to remember, or excuse me, very easy to, uh, Forget, rather, how powerful these characters are really supposed to be. I like this sequence quite a bit. She literally rips the roof off the place. Everything goes to hell. And we see all these other heroes come 
uh, tearing into the building. We've got the Golden Age. Adam comes in. Fury comes in. We've got a goofy uh, Northwind comes in. Still can't stand this character. While that's all going on, we've got uh, Cyclotron. He decides that uh, he's got to bail on this situation. He's got to make sure that his little baby girl's all right. The Adam totally mistakes uh, Cyclotron's intentions, runs him down. They have a tussle, which actually leaves Adam unconscious and glowing from his encounter with uh, Cyclotron. And this is a sub, you know, little subplot that's going to pay off uh, in future issues. Back inside the operating room proper, we get a really nice bust em up between just the heroes and the villains. Nice sequence between Fury and Death Bolt, which uh, results in both of them being knocked unconscious. And uh, Grayson tries to tackle uh, Ultra Humanite, but of course she's still in possession of the, of the Power Stone, so she's able to take him out. All of this really leads to a distraction which allows Firebrand to break free. And Firebrand, she pretty much seems to be the smartest one of the bunch in this issue because she knows what do you do when you get free? You free Superman, stupid. So that's what she does. She sets Superman free. Superman, though, he's uh, he's in a bad way. He still needs to recharge. He's not at full strength whatsoever. Ultra Humanite realizes that her plan is rapidly going south, but she realizes that she has one last opportunity. She grabs up the uh, so-called Hammer of Thor, and at the very least, even if her plan totally falls apart, damn it, she's taken out Superman. So she chases him up this uh, stairway, and I really like the art in this sequence where you can see that Superman is hurting. He practically has to drag himself up the stairs. He's hurting that bad. She gets all the way up there, and uh, she's really laying into Superman. It looks like she really has the advantage and can take him out, throws him off of the top of the building saying, Goodbye, Man of Steel, and good riddance. But Superman is rescued last minute by Green Lantern and Jade, who form this kind of like Spider-Man web underneath Superman and catch him. Ultra Humanite is pissed. And she says, fools, I'll turn my hammer, my power stone loose on all three of you. And and she turns around and it's not just three. It's everybody. <laughs> this is a great, great panel where you see the combined forces of the all star squadron and Infinity Inc. They are all together. And uh, she realizes that this is pretty much it. Her plan has completely failed. But what's really cool, Cyclotron sweeps in steals the victory away from all of the good guys by snapping up Ultra, flying high up into the atmosphere, and basically detonating like a, like a nuclear bomb, blowing up both himself and, presumably, the Ultra Humanite. Green Lantern and Jade, they uh, act really fast. They form bubbles around uh, basically what amounts to fallout to keep it from uh, coming back to Earth and, and causing any harm to anybody. And... A sequence that didn't make a whole hell of a lot of sense to me. Somehow or other, the Infinitors start to have like a tummy ache because of... Did you understand this whole part? Because I really didn't. All of a sudden... No, not really. I I like your version better that they get a tummy (laughs) ache. Yeah, something weird starts to happen to them. They're, they're, They're suddenly having all this pain and... 
It has something to do with them having been snapped out of time by the ultra humanite or something. And I guess they're going to die. But it's Green Lantern who's able to hold hands with his his kids and have them hold hands with the other Infinitors and exercise as much willpower as they possibly can. And they basically they pull a Dorothy Gale and wish themselves back to 1983 is the best I can figure. As soon as they fade out, the heroes that were banished to Limbo fade back in. So we get, you know, we get back uh, Phantom Lady Flash and all the guys that had gone off to Limbo. And at the very end of the story, it basically all resolves with some of the characters, like, say, the Tarantula kind of reflecting on a little bit of the advanced knowledge that he got about the future that, you know, he will eventually write this book and everything. And everybody all gathered around looking at little Terry, whatever. What's her name? Curtis? Little Terry Curtis, Mm -hmm. the daughter of Cyclotron, who now, I guess, becomes kind of the the ward of Firebrand and the Golden Age Adam. And I glossed over a hell of a lot of this because it's very damn wordy. It's a whole ton of uh, exposition in this. So as we kind of flip back through in our notes, if I missed anything... Feel free to fill me in, uh, Mr. Michael Bailey. But I, that's pretty much the gist of this. And uh, I'll, I'll save reviews for when we get to that part of it. But uh, I, I'm curious what you think. Oh, also, we got uh, you got historical notes on this, right? Yes, I do. All right. Which, which means I have to open that book, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I was too busy staring at the comic. I was just like, hey, there's something else you need to pay attention to, jackass. <laughs> and I mean that jackass calling myself a jacket i'm a terrible person aren't i all righty <clears throat> the synopsis to this thing is a paragraph so no way wow. read that because how in the hell did he get that down to a paragraph this thing's huge brainwave jr and an all-star team are captured battling ultra humanites group which amazing man has rejoined five other all-stars team up with infinity incorporated to rescue the captives and stop ultra from usurping robot man's body the heroes save the Supreme Court, Congress, and the White House from the villains. Cyclotron shows Firebrand his infant daughter, Terry, then blows himself up to destroy Ultra. All time-displaced persons return to 1983, and Firebrand and Adam vow to rear Cyclotron's infant daughter. Why couldn't he be that brief back then? Yeah. That's what I want to know. <laughs> I thought old people were supposed to get more verbose as they got older, not not more uh, abbreviated as they got older. That's never been my experience, but oh well. Anyway. In my day, <laughs> people wrote comics like they weren't radio plays. <laughs> Damn kids today with their hula hoops and their Dan Fogelberg records. Uh <laughs> Notes on this. On the cover, the brainwave is drawn in his true big-headed aspect, so he won't look nearly identical to his son Brainwave Jr., whom he is battling. And I just want to get this out of the way right now. I don't like this cover. Uh, I find this cover to be actually really disappointing. Yes. Because we've gotten so many great Jerry Ordway covers, and then we just get this thing that's kind of pedestrian. It's Um, kind of a mess. Yeah, because you got Phantom Lady fighting... G- uh, Cyclotron. Cyclotron. You've got Jade fighting Deathbolt and Brainwave fighting Brainwave as Green Lantern takes on Vulcan, Son of Fire. 
which we do have to say legally, folks, by the way. <laughs> uh, the Demonzo Corps people got in touch with us and said, sorry, guys, that, that that's just how it's got to be. So, sorry. So, <laughs> so I'm just, I, I just, I, I don't like it. And, you know, for, for having this issue built up, let me tell you, <laughs> this was one of the last books I had to find to get a complete run of this title. And I looked through this issue everywhere. I looked at every comic shop I went to. I went across state lines, all the one-day shows. No one had it. So finally, in 1999, I ordered it from Mile High Comics from their website. And this was at a time when Mile High Comics just jacked up the price. (laughs) Mile High prices, yeah. Yeah. Um, But I got this and like three other books that I'd been looking for everywhere that I couldn't find. Uh, and I'll never forget the day I got it. I had just started dating my wife. And I worked nights at the time. And we got together after I got off work. And we spent, like, the whole morning and into the afternoon together. So way after I should have been in bed, we were hanging out. So she goes home. And I finally get to bed at, like, 5 o'clock at night. Knowing that I have to get up at 9 to go to work and right as I get to sleep there's a knock at the door so I go and answer the door and I really feel bad for the UPS guy because I was wearing nothing but my boxer shorts because I was so fucking tired I didn't realize that's how I was answering the door but then I had to open the comics so I got to bed even later I almost killed myself on the way to work that night by the way (laughs) I fell asleep behind the wheel a couple of times I heard that UPS guy is blind today. Now, I'm not saying there's a correlation. I'm just pointing it out. He's sitting in a, he's sitting in a, in a mental institution in like Arkham Asylum in a straight jacket, still wearing his brown shorts, rocking back and forth. <laughs> <laughs> the white whale. The white whale. <laughs> the white whale. <laughs> Somebody had to make the comment. So that's how I got this issue. So it's even kind of more disappointing that I get the issue and the cover sucks. Well, it doesn't suck. I mean, the artwork is fine. I just don't like... I really wish... Well, let me get to that in a second. The notes on this one um, continue with Ultra's hideout is inside Mount St. Helens, a mountain in southwest Washington state that on our Earth would suddenly erupt as a volcano on May 18th, 1980. FDR's assistant Harry Hopkin remarks on the fact that FDR has poliomyelitis some years before but has overcome it or poliomyelitis excuse me cyclotron according to the crisis on infinite earth's limited series of 1985 to 886 was thrust forward at some point to that event then returned to the instant he left 1942 just in time to die awesome Immediately following the story is Jerry Ordway's own version of the cover to All-Star Comics number 3. It is seen in volume 1 of this series, and it's beautiful. This issue's final interior page reprints page C from All-Star Comics number 11 from photocopies of the original art with script by Gardner Fox and art by Jack Burnley. This is the only page of published Golden Age art showing the gathered JSA that is known to exist. And that last page is pretty cool because we kind of see it. We already saw the scene play out, but this is how it originally played out because it's the scene where everyone decides that they're going to join the military. Yeah. 
and uh, Johnny Thunder fools him into thinking, you know, like, I'm not joining the army, I'm joining the Navy. Uh, he's going to be a seaman. Or at least he's going to be a collector. Um, that was mean. <laughs> <laughs> Don't podcast when you're tired, folks. It brings out the worst in you. <laughs> For the DC sampler of 1983, which I have a copy of right next to me, uh, a promotional summer giveaway provided to comic shops, Jerry Ordway penciled and inked a two-page spread showing the squadron battling the supervillains who appear in the annual. It was utilized as the wraparound cover to Alter Ego number 44, and I think I speak for Scott when I say, why the fuck didn't you use that as the cover? Yeah. I have that issue. It's, it's actually, it's a really, really nice cover. It, yes, it is. It's in the other room. But yeah, I bought it specifically for that cover and specifically for the interview with Jerry yeah. Ordway that it has. That's an all-around really good issue. Um, do you have that DC sampler as well? I don't think so. I, I'd have to look it up, but I, I don't think I do. Um, former dealer to me uh, of comic books, just just to point out and a good friend of the show chuck sheffy gave me like a bunch of that stuff like a bunch of the dc bullet you know like the the that um magazine thing that they had in the 90s right which uh what are those called dc bulletins or uh direct currents direct currents that's it there was direct currents and, and there was dc releases i i I'm not sure which no, one. He gave me a bunch of direct currents, a bunch of issues of Marvel Age. Those DC samplers were in there. And basically it was just a box of crap that had been sitting in Titans for years. And he said, hey, you'll like these. Take them. Which number did you say that sampler was? Number three? That's 1983. Oh, okay. What's the cover on that one? Do you know? Uh, that is the Hannigan Giordano cover of all of the DC characters standing on like a castle. Or whatever it is. Let me grab. Let me let me pull it out. I have it right here. <laughs> Excuse me while I whip this out. Somebody had to make the comment. He he, uh, he was a dealer of more than just comics too. He also dealt crack. Uh, you know, it, it's all right. You can admit it now. Okay, is this the one? All right, it almost looks like one of the anti monitors tower mm-hmm. things, and it's got like the yep. Titans and Superman and yes. Green. Okay, I do have this. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, this uh, that piece that that cover from that alter ego is in there. I scanned it, um, so I, I can I can actually post it on Facebook, I cool. guess. Um, but I, I scanned a bunch of stuff from there. I also scanned from the next year. They have a really cool the eighty four sampler has a really cool Infinity Incorporated two page ad huh. um, that uh, that I rather liked. So, but that is it for uh, for historical notes for this issue. Um, I was expecting a little bit more, but apparently not. So, I mean, this this is kind of a big deal when you really think about it. <laughs> this is because it's not the first appearance of Infinity Incorporated, but it's like it's like their coming out party, and they just you know they show the uh, the last page, which which is beautiful. It says all the characters standing around. Um, Terry, uh, the, the the infant daughter of Terry Curtis, um, 
which I like, and it says, Life Goes On, After Infinity Incorporated, Go Back to 1983, Chuck Grayson and a whole passel of all-stars who prominent, most prominently godparents Adam and Firebrand gather around Terry Curtis's infant daughter, Terry, who will grow up to be the mother of the Infinitor in originally called New Clon, and now Adam Smasher. So... They do have a note, legislative, executive, and judicial, not necessarily in that order. U.S. Supreme Court Chief Justice Harlan Fisk Stone, Vice President Henry Wallace, who of course presided over the Senate, and FDR represented the three branches of government assaulted by Brainwave's forces. Only thing is, somehow R.T. and Jerry Ordway got hold of the wrong reference, since the white mustachioed Chief Justice depicted in Annual Number 2 in no way resembled a photo of Harlan Fisk Stone. <laughs> so what do you got on notes? I really have precious few. I totally agree with you about the cover. Um, it's not like it's bad or anything. It's just not a good cover. It would make like a good splash page within this the issue itself, but it's not particularly... Uh, not particularly good as a as a cover it's just kind of a jumble and it doesn't really tell you what the story is about it just looks like, like a big fight specific notes about the issue before i get to just overall impressions um page one and in several other panels throughout the book superman looks scared on the table that bugs me i like superman oh, yeah. being confident even when he's captive and not sure you know what's going on and he he literally does look frightened i like that i like superman looking scared unless it's like for some you know i can see him being concerned for other people you know scared that you know don't do that to them or that something like that but in this case i mean it's really for his own safety and that I, i'm not comfortable with that page six i like uh where johnny quick He's got uh, the Guardian in one hand. He's got Brainwave Jr. in the other, and he's running like crazy. And Guardian's reaching up, holding his helmet on, thinking to himself, I wonder if I'm the only one getting windburn. I like that. I, like that I thought that was really funny. I like that, that was too. cute. Um, let's see. Next one. Page 11. Oh, okay. The uh, ultra-humanites preparing to desert uh, Mount St. Helens, her, her secret headquarter within Mount St. Helens. The door raises up, and we see the whirly bird thing that she's going to use to escape the base. And she says, now, Deathbolt, you've been aching to kill someone. Try them. And she means her submen. And he says, you really mean it? And she says, yes. They're of no use to me now that I'm leaving here for good. And uh, Vulcan, it's being kind of a dick. It says, if you're squeamish, Deathbolt, Vulcan is not. Deathbolt says, bite your tongue, buddy. I just wondered how come the boss wanted him fried instead of just dumping him. She explains, she says, because they repulsed me, that's why. Their own females being long dead, they worship me. Yet I always knew there was a sexual side to their reverence. I wore these tight, constricting clothes, not because I wanted to, uh, but because it enhanced my appeal to them. And now I don't need to any longer. Remembering that this is a dude in a woman's body. <laughs> yeah. Deathbolt says, you appeal to me and I'm too, boss. And I'm just like, ew. Ew. We've talked about this. Ew, yeah, I know. We've talked about it, this. Oh, we've talked about this. It's just, ah, uh, Ew. 
The ultra humanite was the perfect person for him to get in a relationship <laughs> with because he was secretly that way. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and it's like, it, it's now it's socially acceptable. I'm telling you, he was promised the corpse. <laughs> well, I I think that your theory is is borne out with my next note, which is the second panel of page sixteen, where Deathball is smacking uh, Doctor Walter Matthau in the back of the head, and he says, "Move it, Doc. <laughs> if you want to use them pretty tapering hands for surgery again, I'm like, what? <laughs> wow, why don't you just go ahead? Yeah, why don't you just go ahead and say you got a real pretty mouth, boy? <laughs> exactly." Exactly. He is a freak. Um, page 33. Flipping to it. Flipping to it. What's going on here? Oh, yeah. Superman. Superman's awesome. I just like this whole sequence. Even though he's pretty much completely powerless and in a really hurting way, I still like how Superman does his best standing up to... Uh, to Ultra Humanite. There's just something about this part that I really like. And I love the third panel where uh, Firebrand has set Superman free. And she asks him, she says, can you make it? I know you were hit hardest. And he just says, I'll make it. Ultra's going to pay for what she's done, both to us and to America. I love that panel. It's just great. I love the resolve on Superman's face. Even though he's pretty much powerless He's still being a badass. It's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Um, my last note's not even really about the story. It's about the the homage page at the end. Jerry Ordway's take on the classic uh, All Star Comics number three cover. I really like that Hawkman is totally giving Flash and the Spectre the evil eye because they're holding hands underneath the table. I think that's pretty cool. <laughs> Spectre turns around. I wish I could quit you. (laughs) That's pretty much all I got on this one. Hawkmanta. No, I won't say that because Luke Giaconetti will kick my ass. (laughs) He will drive down to Georgia and beat me to death. So I I think it just has to be said that there's no way in the world that Hawkman can see out of that mask the way he's wearing it in that particular picture. There's just no way. Unless he's looking out through the nostril hole. There's just no way he can see what he's doing unless he has, like, a super elongated head. You know what I mean? His eyes mm-hmm. in the in the eye part of the hawk mask do not match up to where his human being eyes would be at all. Not saying it looks bad. It just, I don't know. That That's one of the reasons I think Hawkman, at least in this incarnation, never really worked for me. I don't like characters, be they heroes or villains, that have an animal head on top of their own head. It just this looks sounds silly. Familiar. Yeah. I just went on this rant and some other show that I was just doing. Um, the long and short of it is, I think this issue is just kind of pedestrian. It's not bad. It's not really good either. It's damn wordy. I mean, it took me forever to make it through this issue. It's exposition upon exposition upon exposition a lot of which could be, you know, as evidenced, I think, by that one paragraph synopsis that, you know, you read for this. I think a lot of it can just be kind of jettisoned. It's a lot of people talking without really saying much of anything. Um, again, it's not bad. It just, it, it's a little plodding, I think. 
and it's not quite the the big wrap up that uh, that I was hoping it would be. It just kind of wraps it up without being especially um, exciting or dynamic. But there were a few important things that happened. I mean, we finally get that Amazing Man isn't really under uh, Ultra's thrall. I like that. And I mm-hmm. like that we get to see some of my favorite villains here. I really do like um, the villains of the future that were, you know, the basically the Secret Society guys that we got to see again. You know, like Ragman and the Mist. And I, I've always had a soft spot for the Psycho Pirate because he's going to play a very big role in... Uh, Crisis on Infinite Earth, so I've always had a soft spot for him because of that. I like the Infinidors, or although they're not very well shaded yet, you know, particularly in this story, they're just kind of there. But we get a little bit of foreshadowing of of some of the coolness that's to come with them. I especially like the the Fury part, you know, where she uh, tears into the hospital and and really tears into uh, Death Ball. Basically, is able to hold her own against Death Ball. That's pretty cool because you know Death Ball, Death Ball was pretty much revealed to be a pretty badass villain at least in this story anyway. Um, but that was really about it. Um, a lot of it was just kind of meh. A lot of it was kind of wonky. And the whole thing with uh, Green Lantern getting the Infinitors to click their heels three times and wish themselves back <laughs> home was really kind of stupid. I'm, I just have to say, you know? I, I, yeah, it was kind of wonky. Yeah, I, I'm sorry. I, like I, a lot. I hate to come right out and say that because, you know, you know I love Roy Thomas and, and Jerry yeah. Ordway, but, I, you know, sometimes you just got to call a spade a spade. That was dumb. But other than that, eh. It was, it was okay. I'm ready for the next chapter to begin, though. I, I must admit, I'm I'm kind of done with this with this time travel thing. I hope it's a good long while before we get more time travel stuff, and I don't think it is. Now that I think about that, what do you got on this? Um, the comparison I made for this is that this is kind of this is like the season finale to the second season of All Star Squadron. Mm-hmm. And it had a really great build-up, but the ending just kind of happened. Yes. You know, everything got wrapped up. I mean, it wasn't, like you said, it's not bad, but it's just like, you know, there there, there have been times where you watch a season finale and you see everything. Smallville was really bad about this, where they'd have like a pretty good storyline going, uh, you know, going over the course of the season and then it hits, you know, like the big season finale hits and you're left going, what? I mean, the only one outside of the first season that I was ever really satisfied with was the end of season, I believe it was two. Was it two or three where Lionel Luther makes his big move and Chloe apparently dies and all that. Yeah, yeah. It's just like, it's like that was epic, but then you've got like season five which ends on a complete thud. And that's kind of how this felt. It's it's like we, we, we had a really good buildup, and then it just kind of went down, and it wasn't as satisfying as I wanted it to be. Specific notes, uh, page one, I like that Amazing Man just walks in like nothing is really going on. It's like, hey, guys, I was just out getting a Slurpee and a soft <laughs> pretzel at the 7-Eleven. What'd I miss? So... I don't know why that makes me laugh, but it does. Um, 
I like the Secret Society villains, except I've never liked the artistic representation of the Mist. It's, it's uh, I don't know why I just don't. <laughs> I like the character, mm-hmm. uh, especially in the uh, James Robinson Starman yeah. series. Uh, a ragdoll in that series too. Oh my god. <laughs> um, I like the fact that um, Amazing Man turns on 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 everybody uh, at the hospital later in the issue, but throughout the issue, he's he's playing a bad guy. And there's this great... Where is that scene that made me laugh? Oh, yeah, it's, it's on page three. Uh, he goes, Listen, you can all go trotting back to Christmas future as far as I'm concerned. At least Deathbolt, Cyclotron, and I belong in this era. So who needs you? And Deathbolt goes, Hey, you know, you're all right, boy, for, uh... I mean, it's just like, <laughs> save it, Bolt, and your teeth while you're at it. It's just like... Wow, he was just about to say, you're all right for a black guy. Right, yeah. <laughs> Racist prick. I like page well, 17 where uh, Amazing Man pulls a mace window and says, Ultra, this party's over. <laughs> <laughs> Which lightsaber is yours? The one with bad motherfucker on it. Which one do you think? <laughs> I agree with you that the line comes off a little wonky in episode two. But there was nothing better than uh, Mace Windu showing up, popping out that lightsaber, and keeping like three guys at bay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I agree. He, even Jango Fett took a step back and went, "Okay, I got to rethink this situation." <laughs> it's not like this guy's going to cut my head off. Um, page five, most useless conversation ever. Firebrand, you knew Curtis Cyclotron before. Is he? The weak link in Ultra's little chain. I I sure hope so. I've been working on him. (sighs) (laughs) It just didn't need to happen. Um, Apparently, uh, at the bottom of page five, they are watching the Green Lantern News Network. (laughs) As the screen is... I think they're watching the Green Lantern movie. That's why they all look (laughs) horrified. (laughs) Wasn't that bad. I'm I'm, I'm curious about the... um, the extended cut that's coming out on DVD. (laughs) Even more Uh, suck! (laughs) Page 8, I do like the fact that Amazing Man is trying to convince Robin to, you know, like, just pretend you're knocked out, it's gonna be okay, and Ragdoll comes (laughs) and punches Robin in the face. (laughs) Well, that didn't... And the look on his face is, that didn't go to plan. And it's just like, listen, Dollface, I draw the line at hitting kids. That was no kid. That was Batman's partner. I actually like that. (laughs) I like that somebody called Ragdoll Raggedy Andy at some point during the story. Yeah, on the, on the next was. page, Wildcat goes, depends on what you thought, I was aiming at Raggedy Andy. That's right. <laughs> I, I think the, the main problem with this story, though, is that we just it, it's just a series of fights. Right. Uh, it reminds me, in a lot of ways, of my one small criticism of Detective Comics number 526, which I covered in a recent episode of Bailey's Batman podcast, which was in and of itself the end of a pretty cool storyline that that felt like a season finale. But in the end, it was Batman, Catwoman, and Talia going to three different places and fighting with people before getting to the main, you know, area where they fight with somebody. Right. And it's satisfying, but not satisfying at the same time. 
Uh, I love the artwork, though, throughout this entire issue. Ordway makes beautiful use of lighting. Uh, I love page 12, where the heroes who had previously disappeared show up. Everyone on that page looks badass. Mm-hmm. Everyone. Even Adam looks just freaking amazing. And then on page 13, the first panel is like Liberty Bell with a lighting source on her, and it looks just freaking great. And two panels later, you have like kind of a heavily shadowed Green Lantern talking to a heavily shadowed Batman. I just, you know, the one thing I will not complain about in this issue is the art at all. Right. Because Ordway knocked it out of the freaking park. Um... Page uh, seventeen for uh, for someone who claims to 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 not like being in a woman's body. Ultra at the top of that page sure is like massaging Chuck Grayson's head. <laughs> like she wants to try a little bit of Chuck Grayson on, and Deathbolt's nearby, and he really wants to watch. <laughs> the look on Deathbolt's face is like, oh, finally he's gonna get laid. And I get to be here. I like the fight with Deathbolt and Amazing Man. I liked that Amazing Man finally knocked him on his ass. Mm-hmm. Because he kind of deserved it. Oh, yeah. Uh, page uh, 19, another really strong page art-wise, especially that last panel where Firebrand realizes that the little girl is Terry Curtis's daughter. Mm-hmm. Top of page 21, there's this great fight between Ragdoll and Liberty Bell where Liberty Bell ends it by slamming his face into the ground. (laughs) And that looked like it hurt. Um, I like the Psycho Pirate, too. I like his power. And I like that he's a complete douchebag with it, so... Um, Page 25... No, 23. The Smiling Obsidian creeped me out. Page 24, the middle panel looks like Ronald Reagan is running for president again. <laughs> Which page is this? Page 24, that third panel. 20th. That dude looks kind of like Ronald Four. Reagan. Where the hell is page 24? It's after page 23. Yes. And yeah, you're right. <laughs> Smartass. <laughs> Sorry, I just had to say that. You're right. Um, yeah, the the obsidian there with the grin on his face is just damn creepy. There was a, a shot... I don't know what page it was on now, but uh, a shot with, uh, I think it was the panel where Robot Man is telling Grayson, you know, it's okay to kill me. And he's got a big old grin on his face while he's doing it. I was like, okay, that just that's creepy and it doesn't work for me. Well, we've talked a lot about Robot Man's creepy face. So, yeah. Like, <laughs> a lot. Made even more so later uh, through other interpretations of the character. Um, Page 28, another strong page artistically. We've got that beautiful middle panel where FDR is explaining where the rest of the JSA is. And And I still don't see this as a valid explanation of why some of those powerful members are just sitting in a fucking room somewhere waiting for something to happen when shit's going down for real. Mm hmm. That's like having your best police officers hanging out because they think this big crime's about to happen while a riot is breaking out in the city. It's like, no, no, you guys stay here. We're 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 gonna let you know <laughs> we're gonna let the city uh, self-immolate. So perfect. But I do like the shots of the JSA uh, 
going into action. And I especially like that bottom panel where you have the Spectre's face in the background, Commander Steele looking one way and Dr. Fate uh, flying off in a different direction, probably thinking, God damn it, at some point I'm going to have to go home and my wife's just going to give me a bunch of shit. (laughs) Dr. Fate always struck me as the guy that would strike up conversations when the meeting of the JSAs were, the JSA meetings were over, just so he wouldn't have to go home right away. It's like, no, guys, who wants to, who wants to sit around (laughs) and, and play a game of cards? Seriously. No, no, really. Who wants to go grab a beer? It's only three. I am. <laughs> Come on, there's there's an all night diner. They got the best pie ever. <laughs> I'll have a homosexual relationship with one of you if I don't have to go home. Whoa, Johnny Thunder. <laughs> Sorry, I'm not saying Johnny Thunder was gay. I'm not saying he wasn't. <laughs> um, I really hate. The fact that the first thing that happens after Superman is released is that he needs help. That bugs the crap out of me. Because on page 33, can't help Robot Man just now, but if I can only free the Man of Steel. Nice. Going. Brandy. Can you make it? I know you were hit the hardest. I'll make it. Ultra's going to pay for what she's done, both to us and to America, which is a great line, but then he runs away. Yeah, but I mean, he's not powerful enough to stand up to her. Yeah, but at the same time, with with him just sitting for this entire time, I wanted Superman to stand up and knock somebody on their ass as, like, his first official act. Right, but at the same rate, I mean, that last panel on page 33, you see that he actually did have a plan. He's not so much running away is that he's luring uh, Ultra Humanite away from the innocent. He says here, uh, Ultra will kill me, but at least I lured him away from all the innocent patients in the hospital. That's very much Superman to me. Yeah, but I was wanting something more bombastic, you know, and and, and that's me. That's just me. So that's all I'm going to say about that. Well, no, I, I think you've got a good point. I mean, I would have liked that, too. I would love to see Superman hop up off that table and beat the living hell out of the ultra-humanite. But, you know, I, I, I kind of like this. I like getting something a little bit different. You know, that, you know, that while it would have been very cool and everything, is kind of what Superman does all the time. That's kind of Superman's shtick. This is a little bit different. This is... You know, super. We're seeing a different side of Superman, where he's he may be powerless and and weak, but at the same rate, he's still being Superman by the fact of he's he's being selfless. You know what I mean? He, mm-hmm. He's he's doing what he can to protect the innocent, even if doing what he can equates to running away. You know, because the he knows the bad guy is going to follow him out of you know out of hubris. I like that. I I, I don't know. I, it works for me. Doesn't work for you though. Huh? <laughs> you know, I mean, you make all your points are correct. It's just on a fanboy level. That's what I wanted to see. <laughs> um, page thirty four at the very top. You know, humanite's about to throw Superman off the ledge. 
One guy says, holy Moses, look, that woman, she's going to throw Superman off that rooftop. And somebody else says, nobody could survive that, could they? Not even him. I want somebody else to go, dude, I can see totally up her dress right now. <laughs> uh, I do like at the bottom of that page, though, bottom of page 34, she throws him off the roof, sees that he gets caught, turns around, and there is everybody about to kick her ass. Mm-hmm. Even Liberty Bell's got both fists clenched, and it's just like, go for it. And her pants but, are wider than ever. <laughs> well, that's because right before Ultra Humanite turned around, Silver Scarab pressed on them because like, they're made of clay and brought them out a little more. <laughs> <clears throat> uh, I agree with you about page 36. How does this send... I mean, I know they're referencing the fact that Green Lantern has previously sent people to different points in time. But at the same time, God, this, it just, it sends them away too easy. Like, they don't have to work for it. Which kind of bugs me, because I, I want, you know, them being here was like this huge, big freaking deal. And then, nope, they're gone. Bye, everybody. <laughs> have a nice day. <laughs> Thank you for coming. I'll see you in hell. So, um, and the ending just... Is kind of, it's nice, you know. You have, you have uh, Batman looking lovingly into Robin's eyes at the bottom of page thirty-seven, <laughs> and, and 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 Dick Grayson once again flagrantly flaunting his secret identity in front of God and everybody to Robot Man's assistant. God, that bugs me. I do like on page thirty-eight that it looks like that Liberty Bell and Johnny Quick are about to kiss. That's neat. And uh, that yeah, I was glad, very glad to see them finally reconcile, or it lo looks like they're headed towards a reconciliation in this story. That's nice. And the last page is just a great piece of art of um, of everyone standing around the uh, the baby in the bubble. Superman looks pretty cool in that picture too. And uh, I don't know. I, I know that Adam eventually gets married to a girl named Mary, but it seems like he and he and Firebrand have this connection. But why the hell does he step up to to be the to be the godfather of all the people in the room? I, I don't think I, yeah, I, that was kind of lost on me as well. Plus it never really occurred to me with you saying that uh, you know, the baby in the bubble, so I guess Terry Curtis grows up to be John Travolta. That's pretty cool. And then he sleeps with his own mother. Ooh, you knew that, right? No, no, I didn't. John Travolta had a relationship with the woman that played his mother in that movie. Oh, uh, no, I did not know that. I didn't need to so. know that. I could have lived the whole rest of my life and not known that. That's just that. damn creepy. Well, didn't uh, didn't one of the Brady boys uh, they they were getting it on with with Mrs. Brady behind the scenes? No, right? they uh, the guy that played Greg Brady went out on a date with her, and that was the that was the big thing. Nothing really came of it, apparently. Oh, so, okay. Which is probably for the best. <clears throat> but um, that's all I got on this issue. That's all I got on this issue. I wish I had liked it better. I, you know, I, I, yeah, because because we've been talking about how great this is, and then we come to this, and it's like, well, well, it, it's basically that you know, like when you the trip lose on uh, on the Price Is Right, right. 
Well, I wouldn't. I no, I don't. I wouldn't say it's that bad because you know I I didn't dislike it. It's just I wish it had been better. You know what I mean? What's really mm-hmm. funny is I was very nervous going into this episode that this was just going to be me. That maybe. You know, maybe I just caught this story on a bad day or something like that, that it was just going to be me. And you'd be like, dude, this story's awesome. You know, what's up with you? But, you know, the fact that we both pretty much felt the same way, makes it makes me feel good that it wasn't just me. But at the same rate, it kind of depresses me that, wow, it really was the story. It's just not all that great, you know? <laughs> yeah. That's kind of sad. Ah. <sighs> But we've got a lot of good coming up, and yes, you know, it was an it was an enjoyable story overall. I I can't I'm not going to complain about it uh, too much. Uh, in fact, I don't think we were overly nitpicky about the. Well, we we were a little nitpicky, but it's not like we tore this thing a new one because uh, I don't think it it deserve I don't think it deserves that either. In, in all honesty, I, I think it. Um, I think it serves as a decent finale, but it could have been a lot better. Well, I, I take comfort in the, the the knowledge that some really good stuff is coming up, you know. And uh, mm-hmm. so, you know, like you say, they can't all be winners. And you know, my my track record with annuals is not very good anyway. So that actually should have been something of a clue to me that, you know, this this story eventually resolved in an annual because. I don't know. Annuals and me just usually don't get along very well. You know, there's just something about annuals. I don't know what it is that it's, I can think of precious few of them that I ever thought were, were truly, you know, great stories. So, oh, well. And the episode just, <laughs> I was just going to say, we're not going to leave it there. Are we? No, no we're not. Um, no, <laughs> I'm not even going to say this thing hasn't been reprinted. There's, there's usually at this time, folks, we do our, 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 our elsewhere in the DC multiverse and we read some emails. However, um, we, uh, we're going to do neither because the elsewhere will be done in our next regular episode of featuring the all-star squadron. But we've got a couple interesting episodes coming up before that. Um, next time, Scott and I will be doing one of our patented special isn't it awesome all email episode and we're even going to talk about a couple a uh, couple things that we got in the we got from a listener um that we really appreciated the heck out of I must say to sound like Ed Grimley for a, for a minute there um so we're going to do that, and then after that, we are going to cover the JLA-JSA crossover from this year that involves uh, the Thunderbolt and Black Canary. Uh, and uh, I have never read this story. Have you? I have. It's been quite a while since I've read it, so I'm a little vague on the specifics. But yeah, I, I've read it before. I, I'm, I'm looking forward to reading it. I, I really am. So, and then after that, I believe that's when we're going to get back to the All Star Squadron proper and dig into a JSA adventure. So, got a lot coming up that's uh, pretty cool, I think. Alrighty, folks, uh, be sure to visit our website at www.twotruefreaks.libsyn.com for more exciting podcasts featuring both Scott and myself as well as several other sad and pathetic human beings 
have nothing better to do with their time. You can also join our forum at www.forumforgeeks.com where you can comment on this week's show and interact with us and your fellow listeners. We have built a great, fun, and more importantly, friendly community there, and we'd love for you to be a part of it. And as always, you can reach us by email at talesofthejsa at gmail.com. Of course, Scott and I are both on Facebook, and I almost feel like I should go, and I'm on Facebook, if you can find me, but uh, but, I, but I won't do that. Speaking of Facebook, if you enjoyed this show, won't you please take a moment to mention us on the social networking site of your choice uh, whenever you're listening. Word of mouth is still the best way to let others know about our show, and we really appreciate your helping uh, to uh, grow our listenership. And more importantly, thank you so much for listening, folks, and be sure to join us again next time for Tales of the Justice Society of America. Good night, Scott. Good night, Mike. As we go to meet the foe, let's remember Pearl Harbor as we did the Alamo. We will always remember how they died for liberty. Let's remember Pearl Harbor and go on to 